Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Friends From Work. This is a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's hosted by me, Kyle Sconowell, and my friend from work, Robbie Earl. Robbie, welcome to Miss Marvel Land, my dude. Wow, we're here. It's, we uh, it. I know folks don't, they probably couldn't pick up on the fact that we were a little bit excited to talk about this show. I know we've been like right. really subtle about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was actually going to kick off our episode with that comment as well. I kind of want to talk a little bit more about the plot and specific details in this, just because we already gushed so much in last week's episode <laughs> about how much we love this show. But I'll tell you what, watching it again, it lives up to the hype, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And to your point, yeah, if people want to hear us just gush about the quality of the show in general and just how much we're into the vibe and the the execution and the approach here, go listen to last week's episode <laughs> because uh, we did wax poetic about this and a lot of things. We were just hyped on a lot of stuff last week, which is great. I love being hyped on stuff. I would say that this little gap in between Doctor Strange and Miss Marvel has felt like the shortest gap yet. Is that fair? I think because we had the special screening of Doctor Strange and we did the ranking and reflection episode there, then a Miss Marvel preview, like here we are already. This snuck up on us. So I think without much further ado, let's just get into talking about Miss Marvel, episode one. Miss Marvel, episode one, was written by Bisha K. Ali, who is also the show's creator. It was directed by Adil El Arbi and Balil Fala. It stars, of course, Iman Vellani as the lead, Matt Lentz, Yasmin Fletcher, Zenobia Shroff, Mohan Kapoor, Sagar Shaikh, I believe, Rish Shah, Laurel Marsden, and honestly, a, a bunch of new actors for me that I'm not familiar with that I'm really enjoying here. And then our score is composed by a friend from work, yes. Laura Cartman, who MCU fans will know from her time on What If. She is also going to be composing the Marvels film that's coming soon, which is really fun because I, you know, we talk a lot about wanting some continuity. And so it's nice to see that she's going to be able to kind of develop a Miss Marvel theme here and then move forward with that for the, the film. It's been really fun to now have been doing this podcast long enough that we have genuine friends from work that are coming back around. And here we are, Laura, AC Bradley for episode three of this series, another friend from work coming back around. And that's really fun. Yeah. yeah. And actually, yeah, before we, before we get into the the meat of this episode, just while we're talking about it, I really liked what Laura brought to this with the score. And I, this is the one area where I worry the most that people just don't give us any credibility at this point, because we've been so hyped on <laughs> so many composers of phase four. We actually posted about this online and uh, got to interact with Laura a bit there because 
I was, after the first time I saw this show, kind of blown away by what she did. Like, I, I had associated her with a certain style for What If that I was a really big fan of. And then, you know, I had this sense of what she would bring to the Marvels film. And you can kind of see the connective tissue there in terms of, like, she can do the kind of epic superhero thing really well. But she does a lot of, like, really creative stuff to really get into the character of... Kamala here and I think it adds like it just in the same way that I felt like the the Moon Knight score was really huge for creating the vibe that that show lives in I think the same thing about what Laura Carvin's done here sure it's really fun and really unique I think within the MCU right look I can't say that every score is my favorite score and I always thought her what if score was okay like, not bad, but there wasn't that many memorable things from it. I know we liked the mm -hmm. Doctor Strange episode, but this feels like a step up. She has a really cool musical moment when Kamala is on the roof with her friend and they're about to kiss kind of thing, and then they fight with the photon gloves. There's yeah. a really beautiful piece of music there. So to me, this is a step up for her. And, and I think in fairness, I one, I totally agree. And, and I, it's kind of hard for me to judge her based on what if because – you know, she's kind of working with characters that largely have pre-existing themes. And so I feel like there wasn't a lot of room for her to develop brand new things. Sure. Uh, which is one of the reasons why that Doctor Strange episode stands out, is that was one that I feel like she really did create something, like a theme that is specific to that episode and works really well within that. It will be interesting to see how she takes this Miss Marvel thing she's doing and work mm -hmm. it into the Marvels with Pinar's score from Captain Marvel. Right, which we were actually pretty big fans of. No doubt. Today's coverage of Miss Marvel is brought to you by our friends at Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, content you create, and even your time. We at Friends From Work have been using a Squarespace website from day one, and it's a website that we have totally loved. We really enjoy using their commerce tools. That's how we sell all of our merchandise, but also their contact forms, their email marketing, their connected social media accounts, and the analytics that Squarespace provides. So we are huge fans of Squarespace websites. Head over to squarespace.com slash friendsfromwork for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code FRIENDSFROMWORK to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Okay, here's how I want to start Miss Marvel. By pulling a little bit of a classic Robbie Earl. <laughs> oh, I don't wow. think we talk enough about the Marvel Studios intros on these things. I was thinking about that. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever seen a screenshot of every Marvel Studios logo across these 15 uh -huh. years. It looks so cool. You should yeah, go it Google cool. it if you're out there and you haven't seen it. You can see how they tweak every single one to fit the project. And when you look at them all in a row, it looks so cool how different they all are. And this one is no different. I love the opening music. I love, mm -hmm. I love hearing the Marvel theme at the beginning of these things. But I also sometimes love when it's not that because it's so jarring mm -hmm. to see something else. Like remember the Loki one? Oh my goodness, yeah. on that last episode. 
And then there was one I remember in Falcon and Winter Soldier that kind of started with a dope hip hop track as well. And I love it here too, which then leads me yeah, into- the weekend, I, man. Yeah, which then leads me into, I love that they are sprinkling in these culturally specific songs that are so cool. Even the end credits. They have worked pop music into these projects so unbelievably well. So I had to get that out of the way first, if that's all right. No, and I and I love that. We got like the transition into the into her kind of fan art, fanfic representation of these Marvel characters, right? Like that was the the right. intro that we get. Which is actually the second thing I wanted to say up top. How fun is all of the fan fiction artwork things in the background. Like, what a creative yeah. take on that, right? As a comics guy, you got to love that. That was the thing that I was talking about last week that I said I couldn't reveal. I just uh -huh. thought that was so much fun. Like, how about the scene where she's riding with her friend and they're talking about the flourishes she could do on her costume, and it's yep. all the different versions drawn, right? Like Asgardian yep. Marvel and Doctor Strange Marvel and stuff Zombie. like that. I mean, that's really creative to me. Am I crazy? No, that was one of my favorite scenes of the of the first two episodes that we watched. I just, I really liked the way, and I think that's what I meant on the preview when I said that the way certain things were visualized, that it has nothing to do with CGI. Uh, I, I, like, that's the kind of stuff that just in general through this episode, I think is so well done. Like, there's so many creative choices, and that's why I was watching this, like, oh, this is, they're, they're making they're making the little decisions that kind of take this up to a top tier thing. Like it's like you have a great story that's obviously necessary. You have great performances that's obviously necessary. And I think the script is really great. But then you have all these little touches from a directorial perspective where it's like the, the way that all of those other components are brought to life is what I think really separates this from just like a good Disney Plus series. Like this is like a, oh wow, like there is a team of creators that have really figured out a vision here. And I think it's just being executed beautifully because of scenes like that. Two last quick minor things before we dive into the meat of this thing, okay? First of all, I love the little Easter egg of the Scott Lang podcast. Did you catch that? <laughs> that Scott yes. Lang has a podcast and that she is okay. editing her own videos on YouTube. And, the, and as she's scrolling down, a detail I love is I think it has like 36 views or something, right. which is just right. so relatable. <laughs> and I love it so much. I do want to say, and I promise we're not going to camp out in the opening scene forever, but I love that. I love that they, that they, show us that Scott has this podcast and that that's how people know these things. Because that's one of the first things I asked you when we were watching WandaVision is when they're all like, oh, well, you know, like Wanda could have taken out Thanos if he hadn't had his ship fire down. And I was like, how do people know any of that? Like who is telling everybody this stuff? More practical ramifications, more practical ramifications, more practical ramifications. I'm going to chant it till I die. I love whenever they can give us any lines like that that just make it extra fun. Oh, Scott now has a podcast? It makes total sense. Like he's sitting yeah. around not doing it, much. I love that. It No, it totally makes sense. And, it, and Scott was a pivotal part of all of the events of Endgame. Right. So, and he doesn't have Tony Stark money anymore, so he's got to make some extra change. Right. 
Right. It's such a, it's just such a nice way that I think one, yeah, totally fits with that character. And two, just allows for like, I do like that people know what happened in Endgame. True. Because I think it creates for some interesting conversations and like I, even just even if only for the show, like I one of the things I think is really fun here and maybe you and I talked about this ahead of time. It gives her a chance to be a Captain Marvel fan because, you know, like in the comics, by the time that Miss Marvel comes on the scene, like that version of Captain Marvel has been around for a bit. So it made sense that she's a mega fan. But in the MCU, Captain Marvel's only really shown up for like the Battle of Endgame, essentially. And then, you know, for a little bit in the 90s for that one blockbuster guard. And so I feel like I remember going into this thinking, how is she going to even have a basis to be a fan of this person that has so rarely even been around? But it's like then you you look and there are like posters and things of Captain Marvel, right. which I guess would make sense because that's that's coming out from what whatever Scott's doing. I mean, do you think Scott's like interviewing some of the other Avengers? Maybe. And that's what I love thinking about. I love this idea that we've always known these characters as heroes, but we've rarely seen the practical ramifications of them as celebrities. And anytime we can explore that, I think that's really fun territory. I enjoyed it in Thor Ragnarok when Thor gets pulled aside for a selfie. It just, it's kind of fun to think about. Very popular on earth. Exactly. It's kind of fun to think about these characters replacing the movie stars and the athletes in the MCU, you know, in a way to these people. Right. And so anytime you get even a statue of Dr. Strange or you get a painting of Iron Man or you get the Getty images tribute at the beginning of Spider-Man or here now references to people who are fans of these people and Scott Lang having a podcast. I'm into all that stuff, like totally into it. Yeah. I just think it's so cleverly done. The only other small thing I need to point out is there's a reference to Super Smash Brothers. Are you kidding me, Robbie? There's a reference to Super Smash Brothers. We need to tell the origin of Friends from Work and Super Smash for a quick second. Please. I can't believe we've never talked about this, but I guess we've (laughs) never had any reason to. Our friendship was born in music, yes, but shortly thereafter, Super Smash Brothers. Robbie used to live in the house in front of my studio when he was living that bachelor life. How many hours did we spend yelling at each other on Super Smash Brothers? We were so (laughs) equally matched with you being Star Fox and me being Link. And it would lead to Robbie saying things I've never heard him say before. And it makes me (laughs) so happy. When you would down A kick me off the edge of Star Fox, I would be so angry I can't even explain it. Like you would just feel the rage welling up inside you. And I'm like, where is this coming from? But I just so didn't want to lose to you. So thank you for a Super Smash Brothers reference. I won man, how much easier would life be if I still just lived in the house in front of your studio? <laughs> <laughs> and, and played Super Smash Brothers all day. Can you imagine? That, yeah, all, yeah. And also, I think that's, I mean, no, I, not I think. That is literally the only time I've ever been able to say that I could match Kyle in a video game. And so I hold on to that because... Now, we both were better than Seth. That's the honest truth. <laughs> that's the important thing. Shout out Seth if he's listening. Shout out Samus. <laughs> he would just sit back there shooting his energy balls out of nowhere. 
I know. When we were trying to have our own fight, it's like, Seth, the adults are playing over here. Please leave us alone. <laughs> Anyways, okay, here we go. Miss Marvel episode one. The thing that I want to focus on the most is the instantaneous chemistry. Not only the charisma from our lead here, but the chemistry with her friends and most importantly to me, the chemistry with her family. This dynamic is fantastic. Fantastic. I love her dynamic with her parents, the pressure for her to please them, but also the mom and dad actually sticking up for her to other people when she's clearly in the wrong, even though there's drama behind the scenes between them. Mm -hmm. It's just a great dynamic. And then the brother thrown in, by the way, the brother is our friend, Stephen Matthew, basically has the exact same (laughs) beard, same glasses. Shout out, Stephen, if you're listening, same hairstyle. I just enjoy that dynamic so much. It's so good to me that I am not finding myself needing to be more in like action superhero world. I'm fine staying in this world for a while. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, and th- the other thing is like, I care about like the chemistry is there. And I think Iman Vellani is, Candace and I were talking about this. She resonated with me immediately in a way that, like, I don't know that any, like, phase four new character has. Like, I know we talked a lot about, like, Haley Steinfeld being such yes. a, a rock star as Kate Bishop. And this That's is a, a level above that for me. Ooh, she's unbelievable. I don't know if I'd go above Kate because I also love Kate. But let's talk about that for a second. What other new entries did that instantaneously? I would say Tony Stark, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm obsessed with Wanda, but I can't say that about Wanda instantaneously. She had to grow into that. Like, it's not like you see her and you're instantly captivated by her. Probably Chris Evans as Captain America. Thor, though, I don't know. Like, Thor was a little bit of a rocky entry to get started. Yeah. No, I mean, there were moments in the first, like, the the wink whenever he's walking down the the aisle in the first movie is nice. But he falters. For I'm sure. not sure Loki was an immediate smash for me. Agreed. As a character, I would say Oscar Isaac and Moon Knight would be up there for like instantaneous yeah. chemistry for me. That's interesting to think about. Captain Marvel's not that for me. Hulk wasn't that because it wasn't Mark Ruffalo right off the bat. Yeah. Scarlett I think Johansson, Tom I think. Gets that, though. Yeah, Tom Holland gets it. Yep. Scarlett Johansson is one of my favorite people in the MCU but not at any fault of her own, but her first couple entries are not how she later portrays the character. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not sure that that one instantly grabbed me, like instantly. So it's a small list is my point. Yeah, (laughs) It's a small list. No, no, that's actually, that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, it's a short, it's a short list of folks that have grabbed me in the way that Iman has here. Pepper Potts grabbed me instantly. That's one. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good one. That's I mean, a whole nother episode for a different day. Sam we go Rockwell, through every character. If we're talking yeah, Iron yeah, Man yeah, world. Yeah, but. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, See, now I feel no, bad. I, mean, I feel like we're going to leave some out and people, like like, like Thanos true. grabs me instantly, but not yeah. the first iteration in Guardians, if you count that, you know? So, or I don't know. It, yeah, I mean, someone's going to be like, what about Korg? Uh, oh, yeah, Korg's amazing right away. Hold on. This is a different episode, so don't judge us if we're not naming every person right now. My point is, Iman is instantly just got it. Which is 
so exciting to me because this is a character that I truly think could be a big part of the future of the MCU. And I'm not saying she has to be the linchpin or the center or anything. I actually don't think that the MCU going forward is going to have a center in the same way that it has, which is also another episode for another time. But I think that seeing somebody like that, like if you're just looking at some of the the folks that we kind of have coming up through the ranks now, like if you're looking at her, you're looking at Tom Holland's Peter Parker, who it seems is definitely sticking around. And then you, even Bishop. like Kate Bishop. Yeah. Uh, Yelena. Like yep, you've got Yelena. a lot of really compelling new actors that are fairly young. Obviously Iman's the youngest, but just folks that I'm, I think have rightly really garnered a lot of excitement. Shang-Chi. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, and that's kind of why I also Robbie love the idea now of people like Hulk and Thor staying around just for a little bit longer and Wanda personally and strange just to still have some like older veterans on the team, <laughs> basically some experience. Right. I would love for them to just hang around for a little bit longer just to have that mixture. That's all. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And, and yeah, again, I mean, also America Chavez. Well, oh yeah, and I gotta say, when the MCU first started, obviously we didn't have that dynamic of a lot of younger people. So like most right. of the first couple phases are all the classic veterans we know. It wasn't really until, off top of my head, like Wanda and her brother got introduced that we had like somebody a little bit younger that was gonna be like a key player in the MCU. So it's just Tony, kind of a she's fun just a kid. <laughs> it's kind of a fun it's got a 300 meter lap pool okay <laughs> um it's kind of a fun way to start weaving in this younger generation with the older generation that's all i um two things one every time i think about that scene i laugh because there's a meme that has gone around where it's steve making tony feel bad because one is just a kid juxtaposed with him like beating the crap out of spider-man <laughs> like <laughs> oh. one scene later <laughs> I thought you were going to say juxtaposed with Wanda, like exploding people's heads, <laughs> which is so well, true too. Also that, Either one. <laughs> also that. The second thing, which I was starting to get into earlier and then got distracted by just how charismatic Iman Vellani is, is that even apart from that, one thing that I love so much about this, this series kind of from the get-go is how much I just care about these relationships that we've been shown. Like very early on, not just because of her performance, but in part because of everyone's performances, but also just I think it's a really well-written, really kind of well-developed from early on set of, of characters where it's like the stakes, the stakes are so low ultimately here. Like we're dealing with so like, low. Is, going like, to is Kamala going to be grounded? Like, <laughs> exactly. Is, is her so dad going to be disappointed in her? And right. I feel that stuff so much. And that's like, I think Neil said this once on our on our Slack, and I think about it all the time. It You don't have to go big to feel the stakes. You just have to find a way to make those stakes feel like they matter, like you human. care about them. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's the human drama element of that. And I, I think that it's just another, it's another way to me that this show is different from just a fun, like, 
new franchise installment. Like this is a show that I think fully stands on its own. And I think given a lot of stuff we were talking about last week, like whether you're talking about Stranger Things or Obi-Wan or Top Gun, like there's a lot of uh, kind of revival type entries happening in various like large forms of IP. And I think a lot of that stuff has, you know, rightly been praised. But I think it's just really interesting looking at the difference between a show that can kind of just rely on the fact that people love the world that it takes place in versus a show that really is do like taking pains to do something really different and 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 unique and captivating. And that's what the show has been for me so far. No doubt. I think it just comes back to one of our core principles here at Friends From Work, which is it comes back to the story. I don't care if it's sci-fi. I don't care if it's horror. I don't care if it's fun coming-of-age comedy. If you can get me to care about the human elements of it, it's a win. And so you're right. When her parents come in the room and they finally compromise by saying she can go to AvengerCon and her dad comes in dressed as Hulk and then she's super embarrassed by that, that's so relatable and such a, like, sad scene, even though it's, yeah, the stakes are so small, so small. But it's like, yeah, you you feel the disappointment in her parents, but also her, and it's just tough. And I love it. I love that I care about it. Yeah, and he does an incredible job in that in that scene of making you just feel so bad. Yeah, yeah. But I get it from her perspective too, right? Like she's not asking for that much, but culturally it's a lot to her mother. Uh, right. I love the even the jokes of, don't you trust me? I do not trust you. And her dad goes, yes, she does. <laughs> no, I do not. <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> it's so good. There are a lot of scenes, whenever I was saying in our preview episode that there's a lot that's pulled straight from the Miss Marvel comics, specifically the the early G. Willow Wilson run, this is a lot of the the stuff I'm talking about. Like the the first shot where her brother is sitting there like at the like at the kitchen bar at prayer while her dad's sitting at the table, they're kind of like ribbing each other. Like that's straight from the from the first issue. Uh, and there are several, like several moments like that within the household that I, I love how much they, they just saw that it was a well-constructed world and, and ran with that. As we go along through this series, because it is following that comic run so specifically, like you've told me, can you keep me filled in on that stuff? I think our audience would love it too. Like, if there's fun Easter eggs that are from the comics, let me know. I know you always do, oh, yeah. but in this case particularly because it's so it's so close to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's one later in this episode that we'll talk about. But before we get into that, Kyle, you know, we're talking about Miss Marvel, who's a mega fan of the Avengers. If you're listening to this podcast, you may also be a mega fan of the Avengers. And that means you may want some uh, some cool kind of wearable merchandise to showcase your fandom. And we just happen to have the perfect folks for you, if that's what you want. Because our friends at Epic Hero Shop make some dope Marvel merch. They actually make a bunch of different kinds of dope merch. So if you're a Star Wars fan, if you're a whatever 
fan, go and look on their site. They've got all these really cool designs. And it's really kind of creative ways to showcase your fandom. And through Friends From Work, you can get these designs at a discounted rate. Absolutely. So head to EpicHeroShop.com and use our promo code, FRIENDSFROMWORK, all one word, to save 15% off your first purchase of any item, not including the latest obsession line. Go to EpicHeroShop.com now. So talking about the way that the comic is reflected in the show, uh, like I said, there's a lot of of the family dynamic that comes over, but also her friend dynamic and the way that that she is within her school community is pulled almost straight from here because you have Bruno who shows up in the comics. Who's you have great, Zoe, uh, yeah, who shows up in the comics and is is reproduced really perfectly in like a 2022 way. Uh, even down to the fact that like the the bullies are are people that like sort of pretend to understand her culture in a way that's actually just more offensive <laughs> because it's such a shallow interpretation of who she is and what she believes and what her family is that it's like, I, I think they did a really good job of adapting that, but also kind of bring it into what I, I would assume is maybe a modern take on high school as somebody who has not been in high school for 12 years. But I, I do, I, I think that, and then her guidance counselor who oh. was one of the first actors that Candace spotted on this uh, when, once the trailer came out. And that's JT Firstman, who is an online personality, who I think does a really, really good job here. Again, just another example of somebody that I think is kind of adding a lot of charisma to the show. You know, you were talking about the kids at school and her family, and I don't claim to be an expert in Pakistani culture at all. So hear me say that. I'm not trying to generalize or stereotype anybody with this in general, okay? So that's my disclaimer. I'm not an expert, and I would love to hear from some experts. So hopefully we can get some of these creators on the show so I can talk to them about it. But from what I've read, I feel like early critic reviews have been praising how well they're weaving that into the show. Mm-hmm. Kind of in the way Muhammad Diab took such intentionality in how he was going to portray Egypt. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've read that that's also well portrayed here. So I'm excited to talk to more people from that culture to kind of get that perspective of it. Yeah, I think that that's, and, and that especially comes out in episode two. But again, I think that's something that that G. Willow Wilson, when she was writing this, was trying to really bring through. And that's why I think it was such the right call to honor that. Like I, like we've said, it, it's not something where I think any creator in the MCU should feel beholden to any particular series for any particular reason. And if they hadn't done that and it found an equally great way, then I wouldn't complain. But I, I feel like that's one thing that was done so perfectly there that they really, they really made the right call carrying that over. Like one example to me is the Nakia character, um, Kamala's best friend, who's played by Yasmin Fletcher. It's such an interesting, it it creates a lot of interesting moments with the Zoe character that Kamala's sort of caught in between them or or a part of. And I think a lot of that is explored really well in the comics too. But it's this, this idea that like these kids at school think that she's being forced 
to wear this hijab. And in fact, she's saying, no, like my family wishes that I weren't. I'm choosing to wear this because it's my own my own choice, like to to explore my own faith and my identity. And I think that it just create like it creates nuances. Mm. And again, like I, I think really helps inform this perspective coming like from Kamala. And I feel like they've even earned lines like Kamala saying, it's not typically the brown girls from New Jersey that are saving the world. Normally, yeah. I feel like that would be too much like hitting you on the head. But I feel like because of all that background and how well they've done that, I thought that was excellent. Like it's worked in so smoothly and naturally to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anyways, speaking of that, can we talk about, I wrote, let's go with her bracelet and the powers. What? Yes. Like, okay, her mom clearly knows something about these powers, right? Because she takes the bracelet from her and later she says something like, I know firsthand what it's like for people to get lost in their fantasies. So I am dying to know what is she referencing? And is this like a family heirloom that has had power for years? And is there a precedent of that in the comics? I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the really interesting things here is, you know, her powers in in the comics really are pretty similar to how you saw them in in the video game that you've played where it's like there she she gets it whenever a lot of the inhumans around the world manifest their powers and that there's just kind of this moment where mist spreads through the city people that are listening and wondering why that happens you should subscribe to friends from work plus because we're going to be going through jonathan hickman's avengers run which explains that but that it none of it really has anything to do with her specifically like in terms of her getting the powers i mean and so I thought this was just a way where they kind of improved on that. Like they took they took these things that I thought Wilson had done so well in the comics, but whereas Wilson was kind of constrained in the way she shows Kamala getting her powers, they they were able to actually use that to kind of further the story and play into those other things that we also talked about working so well. So like I have no idea what the bracelet is. I'm sure that there are probably people out there that are steeped in Miss Marvel lore more than I am that have some theories. Um, but I kind of like that that it could go into any number of places. Like I know that we get into it a little bit more in episode two, but still I, I think there are a lot of questions that I'm kind of excited to not know the answers to. Oh, also shout out to them tying in the damage control guy. Are you kidding me? Yes. Wasn't that fun? Yes. yes. The same guy. I love that that's like a recurring thread now. I know. And then the last spot we need to stop here is this final sequence at Avengers Con. First of all, I love that they're talking about Avengers Con and cosplay and Captain Marvel. And there's a giant Scott Lang head and her dad's dressing up like the Hulk. Like, I just love that Avengers Con exists. The first ever, she says, in history. <laughs> I love that. And I love that they can keep giving us tons of Easter eggs using them as celebrities, right? That vehicle. But second of all, I thought the way 
it all went down where she's in the bathroom and she leaves the gloves. And then when she panics, cause she feels stupid what she's wearing, but then she actually has the powers and that's freaking her out. And then the way her powers look where it's like the stretchy arm. But as soon as she catches the girl from falling, her like power goes away. Like it disappears uh-huh. instead of like elasticing back to her body. If that makes sense. Right. <laughs> like I thought how that's visualized is like a perfect iteration of, what we've talked about this whole time, it still looks kind of awkward for her hand to get that long, but then it goes away and it's not that she's actually just a really stretchy human being. And I like all the constant play on it being cosmic, especially with the tie to Captain Marvel. Right. No, 100%. And that's what I meant last week. I I think that they found a great way to, to get right in the middle ground and actually make it make sense that she's going to be in the Marvel's film. While still, yeah, like, and and she, it, it's a power that she doesn't have great control over either. So that, that it's sort of like in Homecoming, like I always loved the choice to have, instead of the cool suit up scene, the first time he puts on the Stark suit, it's like all baggy and then he presses the spider and it tightens up. And it just shows that it's like, they, it's it's the contrast with like Tony Stark or... Natasha, where it's always the the cool poses as they're getting into these like really badass outfits. It's sure. more like it is playing into the awkwardness. And so I yeah, I, I think I'd be curious if people still have problems with that now that the show's out. If you're one of those people, write us and and let us know. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. But I it's hard for me to imagine people that aren't just like mega, mega comic sticklers having any issue with the way that turned out. Low key, it also gets me so excited to see what her final suit up is. And maybe yeah. we'll, and maybe we won't get it in this show. I don't know that. She's obviously wearing her homemade suit right now, but I wonder if she's eventually going to get something like super legit and I kind of want to see it really badly. <laughs> I would almost hope that that we don't get that in this series, I think. Sure. I think an argument can be made for that. And then where would you get it? I'm not sure. Maybe in the next film. Maybe Captain Marvel, like, gets her one or something. Yeah. I don't know. But that's a thread I'm actually excited to follow up on. I I will say the the moment of her actually catching Zoe, that is is another of those that came straight from the comics. And okay. down to it being Zoe that she catches. Now, the way that she saves her is different in the comics. It's... You can see where the vibe is similar. She sneaks out not to go to a a con, but to go to a party. And the other kids are drinking. And Zoe gets drunk and basically falls into the river. And Kamala saves her from drowning. And it's the first time she, like, finds out she has powers as she's able to, like, reach in and grab her out. And I actually think this is, is a better, more creatively done scene than that. And so I really like the way they adapted that. It's like what her mom is actually afraid of <laughs> in the comics. Right, She's going right. to parties, not AvengerCon. It's a convention, mom. It's not a party. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of love that they're setting up this Flash Thompson feeling relationship with Zoe where she gets saved and the person who saved her, she doesn't know that, is actually the person she's kind of rude to at times. right. My only beef with the entire episode is just how ridiculously long the Scott Lang head rolled for. 
Like <laughs> it falls true. down and like bowls over everybody in the entire convention. Like it never stops. <laughs> Just like rolls everybody over. It's a little much. I kept thinking that that it was over. And then we would cut back to it. <laughs> it was almost like a family guy comedy bit. It's still true. rolling, knocking people over. That's true. But no, I really, really loved this episode. I, I, I struggle to give it a let's freaking go only because when we first started our episode by episode grades, we kind of said like, hey, I don't give these out willy nilly. And yet... I don't want to give like three of the first five episodes we grade a let's freaking go, but I have no issues with it and I loved it. So what do I do? That's what I'm, I hate about this grading system. <laughs> I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a let's freaking go. I, I think I, I will too. I mean, it's just, I was so amped on this one and it feels so special to me. And, and I think that the, what do we give? A let's freaking go to from Moon Knight episodes four and five only, right? Correct. Yep. So we're we're being discriminate here. They were freaking let's freaking go. <laughs> uh, the thing is, spoiler alert: we've uh, already seen episode two, and I think it's a let's freaking go. At least on my first watch. So we'll have to wait and see next week again. But I will just say this last disclaimer. One more time. I said this last week in our preview episode. Both Robbie and I understand that while we are unbelievably jazzed about the show, I get that it's a very genre-specific thing. So I have grace for people who are going to watch this and go, you know, it's just not totally my thing. I like it, but I really tend to err on the darker side of things. I tend to want some more grit in it, and I get that. For some reason... This just feels so special and magical to me. And I I like this genre still in other avenues of life as well. So I'm just saying that to say, like, if you feel like we're overselling it, we'd love to hear your thoughts still. I just liked it that much. I really can't find flaws with it, even if it's not totally your genre. And I think that's my big takeaway is that I love that it seems like the MCU is constantly expanding its genres and there's still room for all of it. There's room to go from Doctor Strange being one of the edgier projects they've ever had and Moon mm -hmm. Knight being one of the sadder projects they've ever had and darker. And there's room for them to go right from that into something as magical and whimsical as this show. And there's room right. for the grief of WandaVision and the counseling of Falcon and Winter Soldier. And there's room for the classic superhero movies like Captain America and Iron Man 1. And there's room for the team-up films of the Avengers and the darkness of Infinity War. And there's still room for shows like this. That's been one of my favorite things about being a fan of the MCU. It, it, it's why, Robbie, I still ask for them to get grittier in projects like Black Panther and bring right. some of that daredevilness over. But then right. I get to projects like this, and that's not my complaint. Like, I don't want that here. And they just do it all so well. As long as you're telling, again, back to that core principle, as long as you're telling a very, very good story and abiding by the rules that you set, I can be a massive fan of whatever genre it is. I 100% agree. And I think, just, just to reiterate, this show to me was just such a reminder that the MCU really can transcend 
genre and its best moments. And I'm not trying to be overdramatic there. I just mean it doesn't have to be a certain kind of thing. Like whatever people chalk up as like the three common common points that every superhero movie has to have or every superhero show has to have. Like I just don't know that that that's true with the MCU. Like if you're talking about Moon Knight coming out in the same couple months as Miss Marvel, let alone the same year, and how <gasps> different they both are from anything else, let alone from from each other. And so I just I would, I would, I would, again, this is what I'm really excited to hear people, people chat about because I, I think, and I don't want to be offensive to anything else here. So I'm not going to name any one project. Sometimes I feel like we live in an era of, of so many fun fan reward experiences. Like there are so many like reboots and revisits happening that I think that we're just kind of happy to to be here for that. And our bar gets like ever so slightly lowered because we're kind of just like, Hey, like, yeah, I just, I just want to hang out with these characters that I love in this world that I love and kind of, you know, anything that's not bad, I'm going to be happy with, which is kind of true in some ways. And then some, something like this comes along and it's like, Oh wait, like we could, (laughs) we could jump up to the next level. Like we can expect more from these franchises than I think we've, maybe thought in the past. I'm again, not trying to oversell it, but. And that's why I want to just scream that from the rooftops. Marvel is constantly reinventing this superhero genre. In fact, I think they have changed what superhero genre even means because what other long running IP has ever done this? Has ever done this? Like, if you turn on a Star Wars movie, you basically know what genre it's going to be. Right. Lord of the Rings, you know what genre it's going to be. Right. DC, you even mostly know what genre it's going to be until recently with some Suicide Squad stuff and stuff like that. But, like, right. for the most part, it's just not the same. When you turn on a Harry Potter movie, you know what you're getting. If you turn on WandaVision or Miss Marvel or Moon Knight, or Doctor Strange 2, you're watching like four different things entirely. And that's where they're different. Nobody else is doing this. Nobody. Yeah, but I am, yeah, I am curious to hear folks' thoughts on this in general. I, I was so happy that you were as excited about it as I was. I'm, it's one that I'm really excited for other people to experience. And I get the sense that a lot of our listeners will like this one a lot too. But Either way, yeah, write us. We're on all the social media platforms at the FFW Podcast. You can find us at the FFWpodcast.com. We have a contact link. And you can also find us over on the Friends from Work Slack, which you can access through the FFWpodcast.com. We've got, uh, gosh, a little over 500 loyal listeners over there now um, just chatting it up all day about MCU and beyond. So there's a there's some Obi-Wan talk happening over there now. Always some random nerd culture talk <laughs> that just makes its way in. So if you're somebody that likes talking and thinking about these things, there are a lot of people on the Slack that spend a lot of time talking about these things. And maybe you can be one of them. No doubt. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Friends From Work wherever you get your podcasts. We're just 
getting started, ladies and gents. We're going to be having some bonus content on Mondays over on Friends From Work Plus, which is our Patreon page. If you're interested in checking that out, go to our website, click on Join the Patreon, and you can learn more there. And then we will be back on these weekly Thursday episodes talking about Miss Marvel. And so we'll see you next time on Friends From Work.